Welcome back to a quick timeout. I'm your host, Coach Tony Miller. During these summer months, I wanted to focus some attention on different aspects of player development. Joining us today is Gilbert Abraham. I had the opportunity to meet Gilbert last year when he came to our school to do a two-day minicamp with our BJU Bruins basketball players. He works with college and pro players across the country, so I thought he'd be a great resource for us coaches as we lead our players through their off-season training. Gilbert, there may be some who aren't as familiar with you. You want to give people a quick rundown on who you are, where you've been, and what you do now? Uh, sure, sure. My name is Gilbert Abraham. Um, I'm a uh, skill coach. Uh, I run at Ken Athletics, uh, which is a uh, skill-based organization, um, and I've been doing that for um, about the last 10 years. Um, uh, just a little bit about my history. Uh, I've coached at the uh, the high school level, uh, both as a high school coach, um, AAU travel coach, um, uh, college uh, at the college level, and um, and you know, presently, I basically work with uh, several different professional athletes, um, as well as I had the opportunity. Uh, actually, the last three months prior to being back, I was in Europe and uh, coached with uh, Get Better Academy um, uh, with their team in Prague. So um, they made me the head coach of their men's team while we were there, um, and I worked extensively with both their professionals there as well as their U19s. And uh, we were fortunate enough to win both championships. And um, that was a really awesome experience. Um, in addition to that, I uh, direct for uh, PGC uh, basketball. So I have a full plate and, um, you know, I'm just really uh, fortunate and happy that I get to, uh, to do all the things um, that I'm getting to do right now in this basketball realm. As you coach players at those various levels, how much difference is there in a workout with a younger player versus a high school player versus a college player versus a pro player? There, there's definitely differences. Um, but I think, especially if you know what you're looking for, um, I think the main things that change are athleticism and, you know, just attention to detail, the higher levels that you go. Um, you kind of become a lot more maniacal in regards to attention to detail um, and uh, precision. And um, I think that's probably the biggest difference. Um, but there are a lot of athletes that are younger that might be exceptionally skilled, but they just don't have the physical tools, say, for example, to uh, to make the same kind of plays that, you know, a professional might be able to make because, uh, you know, it's a different level. One of the things I noticed when you were here working with our players was your ability to teach and make things clear and simple to understand. Is that something that comes natural to you or something that you've had to work on over the years? I think it's definitely something that I've worked on. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And, um, you know, with every art form, you know, every any type of skill that you're trying to achieve the highest level of mastery, uh, you will see that people tend to cling to or that the best athletes in that genre, they tend to cling to um, whatever the the fundamentals or the the, the, the pillars of, of that that skill is. And they, they really cling to those things. And uh, if you master those things and you can build upon those foundations at a really high level and achieve a lot of really masterful things. And I, I think especially with basketball, um, we oftentimes tend to get uh, so um, wowed, I think, by a player that might be really amazing, but forgetting what created the player or what they do that, that forces them to have to, to do something so spectacular. You know, like your Steph Curry's and your Kyrie's, you guys like that, like they're exceptionally sound fundamentally. Um, 
they're just sound players. But I think so many times we get lost in, oh, what this flashy move is or how deep they're shooting the ball. And you forget that they've put in well over a decade of work to develop the skills that have put them in the position to do that. You alluded to the mastery of skill for yourself as a coach. Can you speak to the point of knowing the details of individual skills and being able to recognize errors in your players so that you can communicate and correct things in their performance? I think probably the thing that helped me the most in regards to developing an eye was, you know, I, I've uh, I've done a lot of different things within the basketball realm, um, you know, working a lot of tournaments early on in my career, coaching at younger levels, working with professional athletes. I spend a ton of time on synergy. What you end up starting to see is, is that, okay, if I have an athlete that is of a particular body type and a particular skill set, you kind of know what they can be as their best self, right? So if, you know, I have a, a six foot one, six foot two athlete that is um, very skilled and strong, you, you, you can pretty much see, all right, what are the, the certain skills, right, that they have to have if they're going to be successful at the highest levels. And, and then you can start basically patterning and building their game, you know, for their future self. So if you have, you know, and I like to start with athletes around the middle school age, you know, basically sixth to eighth grade and um, try to get them from that level all the way through to the professional level, like stay with them all the way through. Um, or, you know, all, yeah, all the way to the highest level. And, um, you know, if you teach them, hey, all right, you basically, and I give you a great example, like, um, and this is pretty much analogous for every level, but if you think of Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard, right, when uh, they all entered the NBA, and even prior to that, you know, their roles were very basic. They had to be able to defend, and they had to be able to prove that they could catch and shoot first, right, at a high level. And then once they were able to do that at a high level, then their role, their roles expanded. All right. Now, all right, hey, are you a straight line driver? Can you get to the rim? They were able to do that at an exceptional level and finish at the rim. All right. Now, instead of you being a, a second side player that's playing off of action, right? Now, hey, I, we can put the ball in your hands more and run plays for you, right? And you see, and you can look at all of their careers have, have developed. They go from a certain stage and they get more opportunities and reps within the offense. They add to their game, continue to add to the game. And now these guys, everything runs through them, but it's not how they started at all. And, um, you know, I pretty much look at, you know, younger athletes, especially at that middle school age on, a lot of them don't understand what the actual progression of improving looks like. And they already want to be a star, quote unquote, without going through the process and the lumps and paying your dues and learning uh, what actually building a sound skill set actually looks like. There's been more and more emphasis on decision-making and skill development training. How do you incorporate decision-making into your workouts? Yeah, I mean, actually, honestly, like that's the one thing I think I've probably been doing for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I, I like to read a lot, you know, and um, a lot of what I've seen, and it's just a variety of sports, is you see so much of the really, really high-level developmental folks really focusing on small-sided games, structured games, um, guided defense, and really scripting what is going to happen defensively um, and then developing, you know, all of the reads that will happen out of those situations. So, uh, you know, a quick example is if I'm working on pick and roll, right, and we're going one on oh, we're going to work on everything that happens after you reject, after you use a pick, after you snake it, after you fake snake it, uh, when you twist, um, you know, if you have to split it, like all of those things, right? And then all the reads and the progressions that would come out of it. And that in and of itself is 
maybe a 30 to 45 minute job of time consuming stuff, just doing it, not stopping and teaching. Right. And then once you've done that, and then on, in addition to that, you've worked on, you know, the passing, right. And the playmaking that you do out of that, then it's time to put players in a structured situation where they're being guarded, whether I have to do it or they're playing against each other. Right. And when they see certain defensive situations, they have to make a decision and a read. And um, that, to me, honestly, is the most fun thing because then you, that's where you get to see if there is some transference, if what you're working on is now being applicable in a game-like situation, and if they can do it in a really strenuous, um, guarded situation and, and structured play, uh, then typically they usually are able to make those same decisions um, in the game. And, um, you know, it's uh, even outside of pick and roll, I really, really like, um, you know, basically just one-on-one penetration, right? If I can drive the ball, recognize two bodies and, and make a play, right? And that in and of itself is an elite skill um, that I don't think a lot of time is spent on in regards to building those habits. Drills versus small-sided games. What percentage of your workouts are drills and what percentage are small-sided games? And would that vary based off the number of players you have available at your workout? I think it more so varies on, on skill level. So like if it's a professional, right. Um, who say, for example, already has the, uh, the repertoire of pattern recognition, they already understand what happens when you see multiple bodies. Then I think what's happened is, is people have watched professionals work out, not understanding the amount of reps that they've gotten in playing. So they don't need, say, for example, the amount of structure side games as much as say, for example, a, a younger athlete will probably make. And it's probably a bigger conversation because um, I think in the past, what's happened is you would get athletes that would come to training or come to camps or come to different things who already had a foundation of play. They played all the time, right? So they were coming to these situations to get added information to get better. What, what's happened now, I think, because, because the game has become so monetized, um, even recreational play is monetized. You have these kids who don't play. They train all the time. So it's flipped on its head. So as a skill coach, especially if you're working with younger athletes, you have to spend time on just allowing them to play and experiment and stopping and showing them when and what decisions they could be making. And then there's just there's just an opportunity and time for bike riding time when, hey, like, just make mistakes and fail. And then after everything is over, then we can go back and recap. Okay. These are the type of things you could have done in these situations. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, does that answer it uh, fairly well? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so how often do you stop play to either show them some sort of different read or correct something? Are you stopping every play or is it just letting them play for a while and then going back and correcting things? Well, what it looks like for me is, is that, so I like to start with skill-based acquisition, which I like to give maybe 30 minutes to, which just skill, right? Just it's specific shooting, specific ball handling, specific passing, um, movement stuff, et cetera, right? Then that follows by action-based work, right? And this is all can be one-on-o type stuff or two-on-o, whatever. And um, they're basically just repping out all the contingencies. And I'm trying to be extremely detailed with all the contingencies and the situations, so that they're prepared for anything that might arise um, and any type of defense that they might see. And then after that, once it goes to structured play, the first portion of the structured play for me typically is highly instructional. I'm stopping and showing and stopping and showing. And then the latter part, which is the, you know, usually the last part of the workout 
is bike riding time. And I just back off and I let them make mistakes and fail and learn. So now they have a, uh, a foundation or a bedrock of information. Um, it's layered into what we're doing and they have the opportunity to just experiment, play, learn, um, and really add to, uh, add to their skill set. And hopefully, um, there is a ton of um, translation from what we worked on um, to when we play. Let's say I'm a high school coach preparing my players for the upcoming season, putting them through skill development, decision making. Where would you spend the majority of your time? Um, I mean, honestly, I would say like and it's, it's very simple, but I think um, I think a lot of times, you know, again, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, right? So uh, if we're talking about what the basic things are, if you look at every high level team, they have multiple players that can shoot, pass, and dribble at a high level. And if you look at the high school level all the way up to the highest level of college and professional level, like you want to have as many players on the floor, they can guard multiple positions, and they can pass, shoot, dribble. And sorry, the last one is make high-level decisions. So if they two bodies, they can make a play, right? And, you know, like those skills – and as simply put as, I, as I've mentioned them, are paramount. And if you can't do those things, you probably aren't going to be able to play unless you are a, a freak athlete or very, very large. And even those players, um, they still have to be able to do it as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I know that's a lot of things, but um, if I had to pick one, uh, it's probably the decision-making piece. Um, because there are plenty of athletes now who, you know, I mean, you look at a guy like Draymond Green. Draymond Green is not one of the better athletes, right, in the NBA, right? Um, but his skill is he's the probably the best decision maker they have on their team, both offensively and defensively. And that's what makes him invaluable. But, yeah, the biggest thing I'd say is just decision making. I mean, like defensively and offensively. Defensive versatility and offensive versatility. Those two things. You want to let people know where they can connect with you on social media and on the internet? Sure. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter at G-A-N Abraham, as well as on Instagram at both of those. They're both the same handle. And the website I have is uh, IcanAthletics.com. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me. We'd love to connect with people. And um, thank you very much, Tony, for, uh, for your time and this opportunity to talk. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Big thanks to Gilbert for joining the show today. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to never miss an episode. If you subscribe, be sure to shoot me a screenshot. You can send that email to me and I'll send you a free skill development PDF playbook. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.